Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor. And I'm Mike Wade. Hey, Mike. Hey, Gareth. A lovely evening to you. Yeah, Friday evening. No pets bothering us. That's right. Children are asleep. (laughs) It's quiet. Just the dull glow of the computer monitor in our faces. It's fantastic. Um... We started off uh, going over our notes for tonight's show, and originally I was thinking, God, we don't have really very much to talk about, and then suddenly we have this giant list, so, which is great, lots to talk about, but uh, but I guess we should get right into it, because um, we've got a few things to cover. So, this one's dipping way back in the mailbag. Um, Chris Zinkon from uh, The Ohio State uh, wrote to us a long time ago, um, and asking about uh, load side versus uh, dual motor brakes when you're trying to get redundant brakes on a hoist. Um, as I'm sure most people are aware, when you're designing a hoist, um, the risk goes up quite a bit. Uh, or I should say the consequence of the risk goes up quite a bit. So we want to minimize the risk of any equipment failure. And obviously stopping and holding the suspended load is the big part of it. Um, so we like to put two brakes on hoists and in the States, as Chris writes, um, the prevailing wisdom seems to be, we put one brake on the motor side and then after the speed reducer through the shaft, through the drum, we put another brake on the load side, a much bigger brake. And you see this on most hoists. Our spot line hoist has it, but, um, all of the, all the other hoists that are out there, I think pretty much do that two um things that are at least ones that are made in the states like what uh i'm trying to now i'm grappling with who um <laughs> who else uh <laughs> my mind's truly gone blank but the, god nobody else makes hoists except us um <laughs> i mean <laughs> like the why? etc i was like because i was gonna say the etc hoist but then i realized like they actually have a slightly different break on some of theirs um but clancy's hoists like um uh, they're their hoist, uh, and the old Vortec hoists. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, and a lot of the performer flying hoists, they have those, either the Meyer brakes or like we use the KEB brakes, um, on the load side. So Chris says, um, however, it was pointed out at USITT, um, in one of the sessions he attended, that some European standards, the DIN, I believe, allow for theater winches to use two motor side brakes. Given that the second motor side brake would be significantly smaller, lighter, and cheaper, I would be greatly interested to get your opinion on this topic. Well, <laughs> we have some opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first off, you know, we go with the load side brake because, because it's heavier. Yes. And we charge by the pound. Right. That's absolutely so, right. So we can get more money, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting to kind of take a step back and think about, like, what is it that we're doing, right? Like, we're anytime we're looking at risk analysis, and this is similar for, like, you know, SIL 3 ratings and performance level standards and things like that, you kind of want to look at what's the potential, what's the probability of failure, and then what's the consequence of that failure you know what's that risk if that failure happens and um as we were discussing before the show you know i can i think i can see the point of doing the dual motor brakes from the sense that the 
uh, electromagnetic brakes are much more likely to fail uh, than, say, the gearbox of the, the motor, right? But then what's the counterpoint to that, Mike? Like, so yeah, the motor brake's more likely to fail, but... Right, <laughs> right. well, but, you know, we're talking about what is, uh, how are, what are we protecting and how are we keeping that, how are we diversifying and limiting, as you started saying, with the risk analysis, like, how are we actually limiting the risk? Yeah. So, you know, one motor, a motor side brake and a load side brake are giving you the opportunity in the in the world to actually stop the load if in fact the gearbox gives up right right Um, because we're now we're not relying on the transmission of the motor to stop the load so yeah with having dual motor brakes you're protecting against motor or the brake failure but you're not protecting against some other failure right yeah and it feels like if you're going to go through all that expense and and everything of putting a second brake on it, might as well get the most bang for the buck and cover more of the potential risk. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris is not wrong. For anybody who hasn't seen the Spotline hoist, that brake on the load side brake on that is is enormous. <laughs> it is. It's not light. Like, yeah. When we're assembling them, everything is you know like we put the we build the frame, which is just like a cube of aluminum, you know. And then you hang the motor on it, and everything, of course, wants to tip motor side. You know, it's all clamped down. But you, and then even if they clamp down, you can, you get the sense of where that machine's going to go if you release the clamps. And then, you, and then you stick the the brake on, and suddenly everything comes back. It's like a giant ship riding itself in the sea. It's like, oh, <laughs> tipping the brake back. I think last year, last year we used one uh, at the Atlantic. We used a Spotline, and and you know our. TV on the show. I was like, "Yeah, hey, Ian, get that side. That's the light end." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking also. Um, one of the things that Chris had asked is, you know, if uh, this was Chris had written us this email a long time ago, and so this was before we had actually released the the new push sticks. But uh, he was wondering, hey, what ab- about putting a second motor brake on the push stick? Um, and then it could be used for hoisting. And um, that's before we release the, the push stick. And you can c- clearly see that there's a chain stage um, connecting the drum and the motor. So it's like, yeah, we could put two brakes on the motor, but that's not going to protect against, say, like a chain failure, um, which would be catastrophic in a hoisting application if we lost the, the drive chain, which is why the push sticks are definitely not for overhead lifting. Um, <laughs> Um, right right (laughs) but you were saying too that there's you know it's not just the chain right i mean there's other things there well i think that's all you know it comes back around right the risk analysis isn't isn't looking just at one piece to the puzzle it's looking at the whole thing and so you know you're you're looking at you're looking at all the components that are holding the piece there so the drum so in a you know on the v2 that includes that includes the linear rail um, for and the carriage for right. the whole shebang uh, and the, you know, potentially in there, the lead screw and right. what are all those components and what, what would happen in there if one of them, fa- if one piece of that failed. Right, right. Uh, and as you had mentioned on the, the Flyman hoist, they, 
you guys made like a year, a year and a half ago or something like that. You know, it's almost a year ago to the day. Yeah. Almost a year ago. <laughs> Hardly tell. Hardly tell. Um, it only feels like an eternity. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but you know, how do you, uh, what did you, you guys put some slots in, in the frame and put some ears sticking out of the carriage? That's right. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we doubled the number of linear bearings first of all to you know to again have redundancy there. So we could lose half the bearings and we'd still be within rating. Um, but then the next thing that we did was like, okay, but what if those then fail? Because you know the fear is you've got this giant machine that's suspended on linear rails above the stage, and if that if those bearings let go then this whole thing is going to come crashing down. And, you know, not only is the thing that it's hoisting going to come to the ground, but the hoist itself, which is but then the many thing is hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you mentioned before, since we sell by weight, um, <laughs> these things are freaking heavy. Um, so, uh, yeah, so on the carriage, we actually stuck, we welded on like uh, little little fish fins that stick out of the carriage and in the main frame there are slots uh, that those fins stick through um, so that if the if that were to let go basically the carriage would fall onto the fins and it would stop working very well as a zero fleet hoist but at least it would stay suspended in the air and it would make enough of a racket and it would work poorly enough that you'd know precisely that there's something wrong you better go look um, but you know the brakes would engage it would hold the load it would stay there yeah. uh, up up in the ceiling and not down on the floor so <laughs> um yeah but well, that ear that ear thing is pretty you know i mean that's something that is something i had not really thought about but you know but you mentioned as we were talking through this that this is you came up with that you came up with that idea in uh, oh my good good god a very long time ago <laughs> Yeah, on yeah, some yeah. cruise ship info, right? And, <laughs> right, back when we were working on the cruise ships, which you, <laughs> you and I worked on together way back when, <laughs> back in the nineties. Um, yeah, we were building these trap doors for Disney, and um, this was back when we were both working at Mystic Scenic in Boston, and um, we had a that those mechanisms had to pass through the ride and show engineering review from Disney. And uh, they pushed very hard at us, you know, looking at all these possible failure points. And but what if this fails? What if this fails? What if this fails? You know, it's like this fails, then that fails, then that fails. Now, what's the result? And, you know, <laughs> after a while, your head starts to spin. You're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's some actually there's a great, great quote from uh, <laughs> from this awesome guy, Mark, who used to work at show, or I guess still sometimes Mark works at show motion, uh, who and I didn't hear this from him. I heard it through like a buddy of his, but uh, but I'm still going to give him credit for it. But he <laughs> during one of these similar reviews as they were analyzing a a lift. And they said, but what happens if this finally fails? You know, and he said, it will return to its maintenance position. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) But uh, in any case, this, when we were looking at the trap doors, uh, you know, there were sunroof traps. And so they had to slide out on stage and they slid on uh, rollers. And, you know, like, so we had six rollers in there and they're like, yeah, but what if, you know, four rollers fail? At this point, the, those rollers basically become a hinge point and the door opens up and people fall through. And we're like, ah, yeah, but I mean, what's the likelihood of that, right? And again, they're like, yeah, 
but what's the consequence if it does happen you know right very unlikely but should it happen what will what's the result yeah and uh and that's when we decided like well we'll just weld uh, what i like to call a soviet solution we just welded on steel these <laughs> steel fins and and as uh look what have it we actually did we never lost four rollers but we did lose two rollers um later on in the life of that machine and in fact the thing fell it kind of fell catagawampus um so it wasn't completely on the fins um but it was it, well it was on the fins it just wasn't uh yeah i don't know if it was gonna totally fall in had the fins not been there but it 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 broke enough in in enough of the right way um to make me think oh i'm really glad we put those fins on you know because all that happened was the door like fell a half inch and so it was an an ugly floor but it wasn't a giant hole in the stage so yeah so well, that's, that's good i mean that's you know it's, <laughs> that's a that's a it's a hard lesson to learn there. Right, right, right. Yeah, you wouldn't want to learn it the other way, right? Like, yeah. Know, yeah. So, um, so I don't know. Anyway, that's that's about all I got to say on that. Do you have anything else to add about the brakes thing? No. I mean, you know, the I like the load side brake on a, on yeah. a lifting hoist. Uh, it seems to be – it does add extra weight. Uh, but, yep. you know, it seems, to, it seems to diversify the protection in – in such a way that would make you feel comfortable that in fact you are not going to, you know, if something tragic happens, right. The load is still going to stop. Right. 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 Oh, and I guess I did have one more thing to mention about that too, is that we do a similar thing like with the control signals, you know, we don't fire the two brakes off of the oh, same yeah. control source um, for that same exact idea. Like we want to diversify uh, how these systemically, everything has to be redundant. So not just like, you don't just throw two brakes on, but you got to throw two brakes on and then have them fired off of different control control loops so that if you have a problem in one control, chunk of the control circuitry, that's not going to render the whole system unsafe. Right. And like, like when you're trying to, you know, apply the brake, if something bad happens, if there was a loss in there somewhere, you know, you're single control right your single control signal or loop then no brakes would go right and trouble would trouble would happen right um but you know in that way at least one will go yep yep yeah and so yeah i think electrically mechanically all these things you just want to diversify as much as you can uh to keep it keep it as safe as possible um all that said i do know that i I do get it that the you know, the, the DIN standard doesn't require it. Um, for instance, like on the Chainmaster chain hoists that we've been using, um, they have two brakes. They are fired off of different control circuits. Um, I mean, we fire them off of different control circuits, but I under, as I understand it, they, in their standard orient, you know, from the manufacturer's control um, circuits as well, are, have independent control modes. Um, but they're just two motor side brakes both of them run through the same gearbox so and those are those guys are no joke i mean those are nice (laughs) those are good good chain hoist too so there's clearly you know smart people can have differing opinions about which to do i think probably the best thing is that everybody just takes uh takes it seriously and spends the time to really analyze the entire design um, of whatever you're making so yar so 
we talked a lot last week about uh, encoders. Yeah, let's let's come back to the encoders one more time because <laughs> my goodness, we had some we had some excitement with uh, with the nice folks up in Fifth Ave up in Seattle. Yeah, and chasing down some problems. Yeah, yeah, Eric and Ken out in uh, at Fifth Avenue uh, were tearing their hair out because they had gotten a uh, hoist from us. And, um, some, they, so they had a hoist from us that they were wrenching. They own a stagehand pro and then they were, um, they have a bunch of classic style cabling. So they bought some adapters to basically break out and break in of the pro cabling and then run their, um, all their signals through their existing cables. And, uh, and how long do they have to go, Mike, on that cable run? <laughs> oh, that total cable run turned out to be 200 feet. Huh. That shouldn't be a problem. Nah, no. It should be good for hundreds. <laughs> should be good for hundreds. So after our discussion last week about voltages and high-minded, highfalutin, ivory tower bullshit talk, <laughs> for days we're trying to we're trying to help these guys figure out why their encoders are not working, and that was the crux of their problem. Is like they could te- they tested the machine on the bench, everything worked fine. They tested it. Like once they got to the theater, everything worked fine. They put the hoist in the grid, nothing works. They bring it back down to the trap room, everything works fine. They put it back up on the grid and they t- connect it to a classic and check the encoder readout. They're getting encoder feedback, no problem. They switch it to the pro, nothing. Uh, and, and... I mean, the number of emails with the check boxes and the grid of, well, did you try this combination of cable and break in and break out and. Um, did you put a meter on that? Get a buddy and a radio. One of you go to the grid. Uh, <laughs> is it, it was, Wednesday? Is it is raining it... outside? <laughs> yeah. Well, don't don't let the Do... air conditioning kick on. <laughs> We're like I, and it wasn't until we, you know, uh, d- truth be told, we I was very suspicious that we had some cabling problem between the two points. And we're like, look, we should just send you some of our pro cable. We should send you some of our cabling. Uh, <laughs> and and finally, they're like, yeah, sure. So that is your cabling. If that's going to make it work. Yeah. Um, and uh, at that point, we started testing our cabling under over 200 feet. And you know what? We couldn't get it to fucking work either. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that voicemail you left me, you were like, Mike, I know what's going on. Give me a call back. Uh, oh, gosh, something terrible has happened. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it turns out uh, astute listeners of the show might remember we discussed that the pros run at 5 volts on their encoder lines because, actually, the uh, encoder feedback module that we use on the Mitsubishi A800 only accepts 5-volt encoder signals. So we have dropped from 12 volt down to 5 volt on the Stagehand Pro to be able to run in closed loop vector mode, and um, yeah, that's uh, it does not it, it, the signal is too weak coming back over 200 feet of cable. Seems to be right, isn't it? Somewhere it's somewhere between 150 and 200. Yeah, 150 feet, no problem. 200 feet, nothing. So somewhere in there, <laughs> the we have dropped 
just below the threshold of TTL logic, and we can no longer transmit signal. Man. So, yeah, kudos to those guys for staying patient and with it and doing all the troubleshooting. And, uh, yeah, and a good lesson for us to learn um, about where the limits are. Because um, we have, in the past, with our classics, run you know several hundred feet, um, no problem. But we're always running at higher voltage. So... Yeah. you know ohm's law and all so. and at the moment there's right we don't have a <laughs> our only solution is to move your stage hand a little closer get closer yeah yeah, yeah. that's right Which is, uh but you know uh but i guess it is rare although potentially not that rare but this is only this is the first time that we've run into this problem yeah um you know, now we uh, now we know. <laughs> now we know. And it, you know, we were talking about it, about you know what are some possible potential solutions, and um, you know, uh, there's you know there's a variety of things we could do to try and get the to work this out. I mean, one of them is like for instance, in the we know that the SEW Eurodrive um, motors that we're using and the encoders on those motors are um, they will accept in a five to twenty eight volt power source, but they only put out. Uh, five volt output so uh, potentially we could put a power supply um, you know somewhere uh, upstream either like at the J box of the spot line and inject higher voltage into the encoder uh, we could also we have some extra pins still on our control signal lines um, and we could have a 24 volt signal uh, going out and then if you know that you're using a machine that's tolerant of 24 volt out uh, 24 volt input and 5 volt output then we could uh, do that too and ba -ba -da -ba -dum. so there's there's definitely some solutions because I, I guess the thing I skipped over there is that um, clearly that works because again we've been using these exact same SEW Eurodrive encoders for forever um, and so the return signal is always the same we've just been powering them at a higher voltage um, in the past so um, if we get a higher voltage out to the motor Logic says we should probably be fine getting the the uh, voltage back, the lower voltage back, without issue. So. Something for us to test, you know, when it slows down. Yeah, it's <laughs> something that would be good. Maybe we'll test it this time before we uh, tell somebody for sure that it's going to work. So, yeah. All right. But anyway, good news. I mean, you know, good to know. And knowing is half the battle. So, um. <clears throat> Every day, right? Yeah, learn something new. Uh, Mike, what have you been do up to? Oh well, it has been it's been exciting times. We put in a we just did a little install for a for an art project here in New York City. Cool. Um, yeah, and it uh, was two components, and um, the design parameters were were pretty interesting. Um, the uh, <laughs> There, there were two pieces to it. One of them is to uh, open and close a door, a facility door, which, you know, sounds like it might be really easy. Yes. <laughs> and, and reality is pretty far away from that. <laughs> um, we spent a fair amount of time talking about that door. Uh, and you spend even more time not talking to me about it, but <laughs> about yeah, that door. Yes, talking to other people about that door. <clears throat> um, and. Uh, and there was, uh, and then there, uh, the other effect in here is uh, opening and closing a curtain, just a biparting curtain. 
that is so like 16 feet wide by 20 feet tall or 19 feet tall or something like that. Um, and uh, uh, one of the biggest criteria for this project is they wanted to run seven days a week, somewhere between eight and ten hours per day. Yeah. From from uh from essentially today <laughs> through the beginning of August. Wow. Uh, so it's a pretty significant duty cycle on yeah. on any piece of equipment. Um uh you know so to talk about the track a little we as we began discussing this we we were talking about how can we how can we actuate it what can we do um and um the original idea was that we would start with something small uh, curtain track wise like the triple e rail or the uh garrett's joker oh right um uh, i think it was the joker that we joker. were talking about. yeah um mm-hmm. They're both pretty small aluminum profiles and really slick, you know, no matter how it goes, they're both really slick products and they work really well. Yeah. Um, but after after investigating a little bit more and figuring out how we would get the rigging to happen, it turned out that, you know, that this tiny little low profile track actually actually was a it had a pretty sizable <laughs> at a pretty sizable height by the time we added all of the rigging and the yeah. hanging points and all that stuff in there. Um, it was still pretty small, but it seemed like it was all of a sudden getting getting really really close to uh to some pretty standard triple e unitrack yeah um that four you know the four the four cornered um steel pieces right 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 it's like Um, yeah it's all tube construction right yeah and um and i love that stuff it's uh it's rock solid and you know everything about it is is great and easy to yeah put in and install and you can essentially bolt anything to it um and as yeah, it's it really convenient I, I have not worked with it very much um until this job and yeah it's, it's super easy to like mount stuff to it and just like half inch bolt through the either the top or bottom cord and it's yep. nice yeah yeah and one of the uh, one of the really great parts about the unitrack and the rigging of it you can rig a biparting curtain on a single straight track yeah in the carriers yeah um that's you, very cool and uh and so we didn't have to reinvent the wheel we just yeah. had to you know buy a couple pulleys <laughs> right 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 um and uh and what we did for uh actuating it for those of you who've seen it we have a we have a cool little linear actuator product called the trick line and um uh and we happen to you know have the parts for or almost all of the parts for, for creating a, well, like a, uh, was it 10 foot or 10 foot? Yeah. 10, 10 foot. foot. Yeah. We uh, were 10 foot long, I guess. So like nine foot travel. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we had a total travel of somewhere in there of like eight feet that we really needed yep. on the curtain, um, on one half of the curtain. So, uh, so through, <laughs> through, through a whole bunch of, discussion and design about how we were coming up to it <laughs> we finally uh instead of instead of going very complicated which is where i had landed the first time <clears throat> right 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 uh, we ultimately uh just took you know 
the stock track products and the stock trick line <laughs> and uh, bolted that stuff together with a plate and a cheeseburger. <laughs> with a very sophisticated plate and cheeseburger, yeah. Yeah. Which was really slick, though, I yeah. thought. like It I, was super slick. Yeah, because we just had, yeah, it was, right, like you said, it was just all stock stuff, and all we needed was a little bit of bracketry. Yeah. And then we bolted it up, and like in an afternoon, we're like, well, I guess that works. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you know, the install for this particular, for this one component was super simple. Uh, you know, we took it out of this masterfully built crate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thanks, nice, Brian. Nice crate. Yeah. Um, and uh, in all seriousness, well, I think it was the nicest crate we've ever put out of the shop. Yeah, like well, was, you know, you hire good people, Gareth. I know. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Brian's talents were so crate oriented. Well, everybody's got their skills. See <laughs> yeah. what other skills he's got. Soon. It's so much better than the crates we've built in the past that have fallen apart halfway across the country. <laughs> this one made it all the way here. Yeah. Even made it to New York. It was only like six hours late. <laughs> That's what happens when you take it down on a four wheel dolly from Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, but actually, in yeah. all sincerity, we took the thing. It was actually late getting to us, um, yeah. and um, and we popped the thing out of the popped the thing out of the crate, prepped a couple pieces, and two of the carpenters on site took the thing up in a in a genie lift and had had it hanging and rigged, yeah, and powered up and tested in I don't know like two and a half hours. That's sweet. Um, and then, you know, we hung the curtains on it and it was done. It, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And it was beautiful. Um, the other piece of this was this door opener and closer. Um, and um, we actually we actually hit up and uh, Adrian at Stage Machines to help us out with uh, with getting this this thing together. And uh, and this is moving. a This was a facility door. So it was like. 40 inches wide by like eight foot two tall, solid, solid wood. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and we came up with this idea and, uh, with, uh, just a DC motor, DC drive and a, and a 90 degree gearbox and, um, and yeah. cut a cam arm and put a, <laughs> put a, put a couple of plates on there and, and this thing spins in one direction, so the motor just turns on, yeah, uh, and it just starts going, just runs, just starts turning, and it is only turning in, uh, in one direction, and it's opening and closing the door, yeah, uh, kind of like we imagined it was going to, right? Um, and we had some concerns, or I, we both had some concerns early on about the safety of the door, and it sounds kind of <laughs> silly to to say it, but you know what. Like you motorize a door like this, and it's like a like a guillotine, you know. Like like some kid runs in there and gets squished by this door. Yeah. You know, we got serious motor power behind this, and that could be a real problem. And uh, we started out with we started out with once again lasers, lasers, very <laughs> complex. Like these are going to be cool. And then I uh, went on site and talked with the. I with the client, they were like, "Oh yeah, we were thinking that there would be nothing." <laughs> we're like, we uh, were hoping for zero safety. Can you yeah, do zero safety? 
well, we're pretty far away from each other at the moment. (laughs) You're going to love these lasers. And the pressure mats, holy shit, this stuff is cool. Yeah. And they were like, well, but but the mat isn't going to look like the floor then. No. As a matter of fact, it is not going to look more like a mat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But but then after we were trying to figure out, you know, after, after all this new info, we were talking, Gareth and I were talking about how to, how to do this. Can we clutch it? Can we do something? And then, yeah, as a matter of fact, we certainly can put a clutch on there. Right. And there's a clutch between the motor and the gearbox. Yeah. And, uh, $200 mechanical component, you know, (laughs) like a spring set clutch that you can dial into whatever torque setting you want. And, uh, and the door is, gentle as a lamb now like you can stop it very easily and just took 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 i admittedly didn't stick my hand in the door first (laughs) right i was like i don't know if i really believe believe that this is going to be cool right is this actually going to be cool i'm going to lose my fingers but uh but as it turns out right uh you can put your hand right in the door and it completely and totally stops yeah um and so that's really fantastic. Right. Um, what, what also what also stops the door, which we found out this morning, is uh, when the uh, when the door latch <laughs> hmm. when the when the door latch is not disabled and it huh. engages, it completely stops the door from. Moving. So if you lock the door, it stops. Who knew? <laughs> Who huh. knew? Oh, we should have put that in the instructions. All right. <sighs> All right. Well, yeah. Page note, one. Notes taken. <laughs> no locking the door when the motor um, is running. But uh, but anyway, it's a pretty cool. It uh, this yeah. little project is you know came up. It was we we actually seemed to have enough time to accomplish it. The shop time went pretty much exactly as we intended and on the schedule we intended. Right. Um, Nobody really you know, broke a sweat. It was all done without overtime, and even though it was a fairly fairly tight turnaround from the time that we got the final go to, yeah. to sh- delivering. And then it also spanned the Memorial Day weekend. So it's always helpful spanning a holiday. It is always helpful. <laughs> it just ratchets up the d- level of difficulty when one notch. Yes. You're just guaranteed that something's not going to get delivered. Right. Right. Like the, uh, like the delivery to the venue, actually, uh, even instance. though it wasn't Memorial Day. <laughs> right. Although it did kind of impact it because they were supposed to have uh, picked it up on the Friday before Memorial Day. Yeah. The busy crate. cooking hamburgers. Yeah, they were busy cooking their hamburgers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they tripped on the cooler on Oops. the way over to the truck and they're like, uh, we'll get it next time. And, <clears throat> and then as it turns out, they, uh, yeah. They're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll pick it up on Tuesday. We can still get it down there Wednesday morning. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Wednesday morning. They got it in like, it was like 15 minutes before the guys were taking lunch. <laughs> yeah. All of them staring at me and looking at their phones. <laughs> like, oh, man, I don't know if this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trucking. Uh, yeah, but anyway, ultimately, it uh, went in. It went in really nicely and. um uh, and you know, from the shop end, and I think from the install, it was uh, was pretty yeah. painless and seemingly very successful. So that's very cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice to say. Yeah, it is for sure. <laughs> it was nice to do. Nice to be a part of that. 
It's funny. We seem to have a, we're, we're like on a string of uh, art installations in New York. Well, you have a guy in New York now, so. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's how That's how it goes. I didn't yeah. We're going to start making some artisanal cheese. <laughs> Fancy. You can get a fixie. Yeah. I, I, two. <laughs> exactly. What am I, a farmer? Of course we're going to have a few. <laughs> um, yeah, because the project that we had done recently before this, uh, which we kind of mentioned here and there, but it, it'd be fun to talk a little bit more in detail about it, um, was an art installation that went to, ended up in New York. Um, we're actually partnered with a company, uh, or I should, I mean, I like to think of them as partners, but really we were we were contracted by. Uh, we worked <laughs> for. Uh, a great company called Killstress Designs um, out of California. Uh, a, a, a very sharp uh, group out there um, <clears throat> that had a a fun little job that originally, I think we first started talking about it like last July. Um, they sent me some, some drawings um, of like a marionette um, that would be motorized, like six foot tall, like kind of human size ish, uh, marionette. Um, but to have, um, chain motors, uh, on the head, wrist and, uh, foot. And then the chain motors would all be on, um, tracks overhead, um, like gantries and that you could move this thing around in 3d space. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who's worked in the business for a while knows those jobs when you see them where you're like, sure, this is never going to happen. Like, <laughs> I'll be happy to give you the numbers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, nothing this cool ever really comes through. Um, and wait, didn't, didn't they start out with the idea? They were like, yeah, yeah, we want, we want the spot line. But... <laughs> yes, that was but a, not with cable. <laughs> we want that's right. Yeah, it was like we'll take a spotline winch, but instead of doing cable, we're going to do chain. And instead of running at three feet per second, we're going to run at twelve feet per second. <laughs> oh, and did I mention that chain was three quarter inch or whatever? You know, it was this huge anchor chain. Yeah, because it's not not because the thing was that heavy. Not the, the object wasn't that heavy, but it was just the you know, <laughs> it's the art, Gareth. It's yes. the art. <laughs> as Tyler from Killstress would say to me, he's like, cause art, that's why. <laughs> uh, so because art, we had to, uh, accommodate this giant chain. Um, yeah. So, and at first we had kind of, uh, so anyway, we got the job and we did, um, a very smart thing. I think at the, uh, so the, the travel track part of it was pretty straightforward. We were just going to take our, um, stock, uh, push stick V2s uh, for the travelers. Um, and then we were going to do some sort of crazy hoist thing for the, the hoisting part. Uh, and then the traveler track itself, we were going to use the Garrett's Cargo XL track because um, it's got a super heavyweight rating and um, it's a pretty stout track. Um, <laughs> very, very stout. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so... Um, to kick it off, like in the December time frame, uh, when they were proto- starting to prototype, uh, we sent one the first Pushtick V2 out to them uh, to test the hoisting with, because um, they really wanted to get a handle on how fast the artist wanted to see this uh, marionette move. <laughs> and 
uh, we're like, well, you can always uh, overspeed it, you know, and and they're like, yeah. Tyler said, yeah, you might want to, can we chuck in like a couple sprockets too so that we can change the speed ratio? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I guess we can. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> so after that initial test, he's like, yeah, so about the speed, it's, it's going to be more like 12 feet per second, I think is what we're going to need on these chain hoists. <laughs> you're like, huh, really? The 12 feet, you say? That's a brisk pace. Um, <laughs> and this on this giant chain. Yeah, bring your earplugs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a freight train. Uh, so we start running the just the speed calculations and so on. I'm like, yeah, we're going to need like a 10 horsepower motor on this thing. <laughs> like, And then we're going to have to have this, you know, and then we're looking at like how we're going to uh, pull the chain. And we, um, Ed Weingart, who works with us, um, uh, part-time during the school year and more, more than part-time over the summers, um, Ed uh, started researching the chain and ha- what uh, chain wheel we could get kind of prefabbed for that uh that manufactured chain and so we found uh very conveniently we found one in connecticut and two more in the uk uh so we just had to get those on on a plane (laughs) from england uh because there was another chain that was very 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 similar that you could like the you couldn't swing a dead cat without finding the chain wheels for that but that of course was not artistically sufficient um it was it was like a quarter inch shorter in length, and that's just no bueno. So uh, anyway, so we had the <clears throat> as we started putting all these pieces together, we and we're still kind of working this framework of like we're going to take a spot line and modify it. And then one night, you know, <laughs> I came to this decision point of like this just is nothing like a spot line. It's not the right it's not the right speed. It's not the right load rating. It's not the right lifting media it's it, it's not a spot line. we should stop calling it a spot line it's just a custom chain hoist and now let's just start over with that in mind and let's make a machine that does that um so uh i'm being long-winded about this but uh but so we started testing these 10 horsepower uh chain hoists um and the tricky thing about that is uh guiding the chain um <clears throat> especially coming out of the chain bag uh because it's when it's all piled up in there, and you start, you start yanking it out of the chain bag at twelve feet per second, it does some funky stuff. Um, and every time we would try to contain it in around the chain wheel, um, <laughs> just... and it would just wreck whatever we had in the way. I mean, in a heartbeat. I mean, and so we had all of these failures. I mean, as we're tr- testing this thing, be like we try this for a chain guide, tried that for a chain guide, try, you know, a piece of quarter inch flat bar bent around the thing with one inch. Uh, or the first thing we tried was just one inch aluminum rods, like spaced around the, uh, the circumference of the chain wheel. And it bent these things up like three quarters of an inch. Because like a, a link would just get slightly out of alignment and is whipping around the chain wheel, it would just and, and this, this you know solid aluminum. I mean, it's aluminum, but still, it's like solid aluminum, just bent like it's nothing. Um, and there and then, were some, there were some like deformed steel tubes too that uh, that Tyler showed me. That you know they had made these cups, so you know it's like this guide tube, so a larger tube coming into into something smaller but still pretty large like a two yeah. and a half or three inch 
pipe and and they had the prototype in front of them which was all round and you know looked like looked like the pipe and then they had the one piece that they had put in the machine and run the machine like three times with which was now oval yeah the whole thing had just turned into an oval it was like yeah yeah we can we can't use that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and when we when we were testing it we had a similar thing we had a two inch schedule 80 uh pipe with a two inch to two and a half inch reducer weld on reducer welded onto the bottom like a bell um, to, like to funnel it in and we got it we got it going we had we had talked the the pipe originally was placed like perfectly plumb uh and tangent to the chain wheel and then we pushed it in like a half inch to try and keep it tucked a little tighter into the chain wheel so that we wouldn't go flying off the chain wheel <laughs> with such violence and, and the thing just it beat the hell out of that pipe so much that it deformed it while it was running to the point that it collapsed the pipe and jammed like the pipe like broke down around the chain and then the machine jammed up and <laughs> we had this thing like we had to disassemble the hoist around this oh this God. piece uh, and uh and to get it to get the chain out we I ended up just taking a you know, angle grinder and like slitting it like the belly of a snake and then prying the pipe back open to get the chain out. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so eventually we got, we got all that stuff working. Um, and actually it didn't take in the end, it was about three weeks um, of uh, development time on those uh, hoists and stuff um, just, to get it worked out. It's not too shabby. Yeah. 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 Um, but because we we're of course at 10 horsepower, we had to come up with a new stagehand as well <laughs> because our stagehands typically max out at five. So we've been talking about doing a 10 horsepower stagehand for a while, and this was a good push to get us to do it. And so we now actually have a, um, a 10 horsepower version of the stagehand. It's all, it's actually built to be rack mounted. Um, and it can be either racked like in a, in a big rack or else you can put it inside of like a little gator case. Um, if you want just a single unit. <clears throat> um, and now a single unit is still like <laughs> two stage it, hand pros yeah, next it's a, to each other. It's, it's an eight U. <laughs> yeah. It's an eight unit box. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's big. It's big for it sure. Is, it is wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to have it in the arsenal. And, uh, we were, just talking this week about how we got to actually like advertise that a bit and let people know that anyone out there who's looking for a 10 horsepower stage and that's now actually a thing you can actually just buy from us, um, which is nice. Um, yeah. And then we, the push to V twos just worked like you'd expect all over sped. Everything was over sped. <laughs> um, because the, the, the point was that they wanted to be able to, you know, move this mannequin around in the, in the space. Um, and uh, it kind of in this 3D cube. Um, but they want to be able to, like, drag it all the way to, you know, suck it up tight and then drop the thing. But not drop, drop it. <laughs> like, they want to drop it and then have enough D-cell at the b bottom to to keep it from completely destroying itself every time. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. They seem to be dropping it. 
when I saw it. Yeah, but it's not actually dropping it. Like, I mean, it's only <laughs> running at 12 feet per second, right? So it's not quite <laughs> dropping it. <laughs> well, and, you know, one of the things Tyler told me when I was when I saw this all install, uh, all installed, is they, they had to slow down the uh, their max speed out of the chain bag ended up not being quite 12 feet a second because they were getting too much lift on the chain as it was rolling over the over the chain the wheel. wheel yeah um but they could go the other direction yeah and it's a speed. spooky thing to watch we have some like slow-mo video of it <laughs> on our instagram page yeah because it's... the chain just kind of like rises out of the chain wheel at that speed <laughs> it's a little freaky yeah yeah um but other things on the job that were pretty cool is they had uh, a lot of AV stuff going on because um, this mannequin had these really cool um, glass eyes that had fiber optics bonded to the <clears throat> to the curved glass surface, and they put LED screen or LCD screens behind the fiber optics, and they could send video to it. And the video is creepy, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and they're using like. Uh, they're using the the Xbox um, Connect, the Connects, um, you know, uh, eyes, and they're all over the room. And so this this mannequin is hanging there, and its eyes are blinking, and then it's and then it's picking people out of the crowd and staring at them. It is just a man. It is. <laughs> Whoa, that is weird. Gives you, gives you the creeps, yeah. Yeah. That Connect sensor stuff is cool that they can like see the audience and find the humans out there, and then yeah, and, then and then find the face. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And all of that stuff in the head of this mannequin, you know, fiber mm-hmm. optics bonded to glass. <laughs> We're to slamming into the concrete. TV screens to wireless controllers. They're dropping literally <laughs> time and time again on the concrete. It's yeah, it's pretty astounding. It's pretty astounding. Um, but oh. it's kind of it's a very cool art. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. To you know, um, to see it. Yeah, and huge spike mark files. I mean, just in enormous Un- spike mark files. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, because it's it has six axes of motion. And it's a fifteen minute loop, but it's just absolutely nonstop. I mean, they, there's just links upon links upon links upon links upon links upon links upon links. And they've got some FX units in there too, right? They do have some actually, and they have some <laughs> FX units in there for some pretty funny reason. So we had to be able to transmit like what queue we're running uh, to the uh, video guys and the um, due to the time constraints and everything else the every, the only thing we could figure out to do to get it working well enough um, to because all we really want to do is like send them a message like hey Q1's running hey Q25 is running hey Q40 is running uh, we're not trying to send them position feedback they weren't interested in that they just wanted like a, a marker sent out. Uh, the sort of thing that you might use timecode for, for instance. Um, <laughs> but but really, even backing away from time, I mean, like you'd use timecode just because it's kind of an, an an easy way to mark points in the show. But even better would be some way to just send them a message. Um, 
But the only way we could send him a message was like telegraph style. So we took some effects <laughs> units and we wired up all the outputs and would send them, uh, you know, <laughs> binary messages um, using <laughs> each, the, the effects is two of them make a byte worth of information so we could send them up to 255, um, or yeah, 256, including zero, but 255 uh, discrete messages um, to let them know what we're running. I mean, I think that's amazing. And like, you know, I think I think what the the awesome part about that is that not only did, you know, not only did you have the the thought process on this end to think about that, but the but the folks doing the exhibit work also had the capacity to be like, "Oh yeah, we can totally just take some binary information. I'll just write some new code." <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. You're going to do what now? <laughs> yeah. Well, and to be fair, it was really Tyler's idea. You know, it was his uh, it was his brainchild when he was like, you know what, why don't we just take the effects and do this? Because I was waxing poetic about, like, well, we could, like, design this network protocol and send some stuff over the network. And he was like, yeah, but are we going to, you know, kind of, are we going to get that done in time? I was like, yeah, probably not. Um, although, in the end, after they came to New York, um, we were starting to have some trouble with uh, with the FXs and the, this whole method of doing it. It was just getting it was a little kludgy for a couple of reasons. Um, so what we ended up doing instead um, was we developed this uh, new feature in SpikeMark called um, Stagehand Messenger. So you can add any number of axes to SpikeMark now that. Um, all they they show up just like any other like motor would, but in their movement box, you can just enter in any any text that you want to send when the queue runs, and then give the messenger a network address that you want to send that message to, and when you run the queue, that message will be sent um, to that address. And that's actually, I think, very cool. It ended up being very cool for this project, but I think it's going to be pretty sweet for a lot of projects. Yeah, uh, it really opens up some options for us for being able to integrate into more systems. So, yeah. Anyway, it was a cool project, and uh, we we got some video and stuff that at some point when we get the release to to show off, we'll uh, we'll show it off to folks so you can see it. Um, speaking of Spike Mark, we uh, just released uh, Spike Mark three point six. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you had some tech support calls about uh, some spike mark issues. I did, I did. You know, I got these <laughs> like two or three in within like three days of each other or something. Yeah. Of uh, <laughs> hey, uh, when I press the file button, uh, spike mark crashes. <laughs> um, I can't really save the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is not awesome. And the first time it happens, you're like, oh, that's weird. And the second time it happens, you're like, oh, this is a problem. And by the third one, you're like, good God, we have got to get on, we got to figure this out. <laughs> um, and it turned out to be a, uh, there's some bug in the component that we use, the library that we use for displaying your recent uh, files in the menu. Uh, like when you hit the file menu and drop down, it drops down that little list of like your five most recent files. And uh, something's up with that. 
Um, that's actually an open source library that we're using for that uh, little feature. And uh, I still don't know what's going on with it. I haven't, I didn't dig into debugging their code, but the um, easiest thing to do is just to disable that feature for now. And we'll, we'll get that working again someday. But um, for now, better, best to just turn it off uh, so that everybody can, you know, save their shows again yeah. without using keyboard shortcuts. Right. Right. <laughs> and I mean, this came up, we actually like this first bumped into it like a couple of months ago, wasn't it? We got somebody who, yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. yeah. It was a, and it was one of, uh, it was a, somebody using rental equipment from somebody from stage machines, but they, okay. you know, they were running spike mark and they had this trouble and we chalked it up to like, ah, it's old laptop out of date, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, but then we hear the second one, like, oh, that's yeah. not good. And then the third one. <laughs> yeah. It was because the first one was a couple of months ago. And then yeah. the second and third one came like right bang, bang, like right on the heels of one another. And it's funny, like, because this, like the recent file menu has been out in the software since version three, I think was when we added it. Um, yeah. so that's three years and we, <laughs> and then suddenly whatever has happened, in Windows of the world, um, this month it went bad. Yeah. Well, so, well, at least it's fixed now. So, yes. uh, an important, <clears throat> an important safety tip upgrade. Yes. Update, uh, spike mark. Yes. Always update. Always update. So <laughs> I've, I've also had on a side note, several tech support calls where people have told me that they are running, uh, you know, what version of spike mark are you running? Uh, 2.4. Oh, um, you know, we're at 3.5, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and yes. it's free. So please. And, and it's free. Yes. Ah, oh, well, my computer's not going to handle it. Well, uh, right now your computer's not handling it. So <laughs> man, maybe we should, we should take a stab at it. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a swing. Yep. We can always go back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Hey, so the last thing, which is pretty, I think, I think the last thing on our list here yeah. is pretty exciting. Uh, a couple months ago, we sent the Spotline design, the engineering drawings. Well, we sent it back to the engineer because we knew people were flying people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our Spotline originally was not engineered for performer flying. <laughs> Um, cause it's not really our gag, right? Like we don't, yeah. we're not flight directors and stuff, but, uh, but like you said, we know, <laughs> we have heard, we've come to learn that that's something that people are doing is they're flying folks or oftentimes flying scenery with people. people. On, yeah. Know? So yeah, we sent it back to McLaren, uh, engineering and had them, uh, relook at the design, um, to verify that it was safe. Um, and uh, stamp the drawings to conform with the new Plaza standard. Because also, nicely, there's now a uh, ESTA slash Plaza standard for performer flying hoists. And the Spotline didn't have to have any changes done to it. It um, passed with flying colors, um, but it's now officially certified for performer flying. Which is really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. Yeah. I mean, there were some, there were some interesting calculations that, McLaren, you know, pointed pointed us to specifically that you know if we end up with a with a uh, an e stop at full speed, that um, uh, category zero stop, 
and if if there is a 125 pound actor attached at the end of that line that that category zero stop will it will turn into like almost 500 pounds yeah 500 pounds of force yeah uh on on whatever is on 125 pounds hanging off the end of that right um which uh which is which is enough to <laughs> which no, is enough to, which is enough seriously to be, hurt somebody yeah seriously hurt somebody like go to the hospital yeah um so you know uh anybody who is thinking about flying people or flying people in scenery uh, with this we should there should there needs to be some some serious design review and and bring it back to the risk assessment from the top about what that connection point is and what right. uh, what safety is built into the into the actor right into the actor connection right because you really need some you need some additional hardware in there to absorb that shock load um, to prevent any sort of harm to people um, yeah, and you certainly wouldn't want that to be a rigid uh, connection there because that could be that could be very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, in the scenery land, what we seem to be seeing most people wanting to do is to be running actually slower, like running two to ones or four to ones um, on it. Um, and so, obviously, the the uh, for the force generated at e stop goes down quite a bit um, when you're running slower, but it's an important thing that you need to think about and discuss. And that's the sort of thing that, uh, if you are considering doing something like this, and even though it's, it's great that the spotlight is rated for performer flying, but that, uh, as you're suggesting, Mike raises the bar one notch higher in terms of, uh, risk assessment. So if you're planning on doing something, reach out, let's have a talk. Yeah. But great that it's, uh, Great that it's it's ready for it. So, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic to know that the you know the design from a couple of years ago was is you know is un is untouched to yeah. make it happen. So, yeah, good stuff. Cool. All right, well, it's getting late. We should sign off. Yeah, let's go. well thanks for everyone for listening Uh, if you like the show please rate it on iTunes and tell your friends it's the best way for people to find the show and if you have things you'd like us to talk about send an email to podcast at creativeconners.com see you next time